Hello everyone, my name is Abby Bonnet and you're listening to Gourmand, a show set on empowering the next generation of food lovers and leaders. In today's episode, I sat down with Nadia Axon, the chef at Pika Pika, a Filipino pop-up and supper club. We discussed her career as a chef, her approach to sustainability, how she uses her dishes as a mode of storytelling, and so much more. So let's dig in. Welcome to Gourmand, Nadia. It's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I always like to start by hearing about our guest's background. Um, So can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and how your childhood influences your interest in food today? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I grew up, I was born in Seattle, but I moved to Hawaii when I was nine years old. So um, I guess like the experiences that I had with the grandparents on both sides of my family that really kind of like shape the type of food that I cook. Um, a lot of those memories were when I was younger and living in Seattle and kind of living with both sets of my grandparents. Um, and then I moved to Hawaii and spent basically my entire life there until about six years ago, seven years ago when I moved to New York. Um, did all of my formal education there, but um, my mom is from the Philippines and my dad is from Kuwait and both of their moms, like the matriarchal sides of the family were insane chefs. Um, And food was definitely like a means of communication in my family. Um, Both, I mean, both my parents are English second language, but like have perfectly good English. Um, But my grandparents were like definitely English second language where their English wasn't the best. So I think that like looking back on my childhood, a lot of the ways that my grandparents were able to kind of like, I think, understand one another was through food, even though the food was completely different. Um, And so I think like the love that I bared witness to at a really young age with like you know, the Muslim side of my family that was a little more reserved and quiet. And then like the Filipino side of my family that was like really rambunctious and like wild. Um, Them kind of being able to, I don't know, like love each other and um, kind of see one another, even though they didn't really speak the same language or even like use the same spices or like cook even similar type of food was really cool. And a very like, I think eye-opening experience looking back on it of course at the time I was so young I had no idea kind of like what I was in it was just like my life but now looking back on it I can say that like food really is love for me um and I felt that at a I feel that at a very deep level um my mom is kind of the person that would cook in my immediate family and she cooks Filipino food so primarily my palate and what I cook is Filipino food. Um, but I feel that there are a lot of techniques that I learned from my dad's mom, my teta, um, that I use and implement in my everyday cooking. Yeah, that's super interesting. I really like how you said, um, how you use food as a means of communication as well as love. That's such an interesting way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, did you always know that you wanted to pursue a career in food or, kind of how how did you get into it yeah so food was always like my hobby for sure I I don't know that I would even call it a hobby because it wasn't like I was like being super experimental it was just like okay once my mom realized that I enjoyed cooking she was like okay you can cook for the family now because 
I'm over it. <laughs> I think my mom cooked as a means for survival as an immigrant. And then it turned into like, it might've skipped, like everyone in my family says, like, I think it skipped their generation and went to me and that I have like what my grandma's, my grandmothers have, which is like my, my very utmost honor. Um, I always just kind of cooked because I like to do it. And um, I guess living in New York city, it was my like thing that I looked forward to at the end of the day of long day of work, just like being able to cook myself a meal. I love soup. I cook a lot of soup. My like Filipino side of the family is very um soup heavy, but um, I was actually in the film industry. I majored in film in college. I thought I was going to be a cinematographer. That was my goal. That was like my life. Um, and when I had moved to New York in 20, early 2018, it was, uh, I was working as a production assistant for Netflix and CBS and Hulu, and then also doing freelance videography for like a bunch of random different clients and like experiencing like the craziest kind of lifestyle of like really long days as a production assistant. And then like getting onto the train with my like bag full of like dollies and equipment and mics and cameras and lenses and all of that and it was so stressful it was honestly like to be completely frank very depressing I wasn't like very happy I didn't feel kind of seen in the film community I didn't feel like my storytelling aspect was like I didn't feel like that was a part of my day-to-day -day life which is why I got into film to begin with was to be able to tell like unique stories um, and so I just found myself cooking a lot more and eventually I got a job at a private chef agency that had an office and they kind of like outsourced private chefs to go to different places and um, they needed an in-house photographer and videographer and that's that was kind of like my way in and then I met my first culinary mentor there Christina who was the culinary director at the time and I just kind of found myself like helping her and like running to like the green market in Union Square to like grab her herbs or whatever she needed last minute, even though that wasn't really like a part of my job. Um, and that kind of turned into me working with her closely. And she was like, you know, you're very natural with like your knife skills and the way that you cook and like, have you ever considered maybe like, you know, doing this for work and I was like, no, that's crazy. Like, I think at the time I was what, like 23 years old and I, 23 is so young when I'm looking back at it now, but at the time I was like, oh my God, I can't change my career at 23 years old. My life will end. Um, and so I guess that experience with her working closely with her and at this agency made me realize like maybe video and photo is something that I can implement in my life as a hobby, but also to supplement maybe what could be a cooking career. And so January, 2019, I went to um, the International Culinary Center, which a lot of people know as the French Culinary Institute, which unfortunately now is no longer operating. Um, they closed during COVID, but um, that basically just changed the whole trajectory of my career. That's really cool. And something that you mentioned about wanting to tell stories, what was the transition like between telling stories through film and then learning how to tell stories through cooking? Yeah. So I think that the perspective that I grew up in is very unique 
not just being first generation, because I feel like part of the American story now is being so cross-cultural and being first gen um, or even being an immigrant. I think it was just the unique experience of, um, yeah, like what I was saying earlier, feeling love through food and really like tasting love from both sides of my family. Um, and so I think with filmmaking, I thought I was going to be like filming all these really interesting stories and like, whether that be documentary or fictional, um, that was my goal. And then I came to like this profound realization that like, if I can cook what I grew up with, maybe that's a way of telling a story on its own. Like maybe a person and I don't have the same ideals and values and we disagree like politically or I don't know, we just are not people that would see eye to eye. I feel like food is actually the perfect way to at least be able to connect to someone that you might not feel a connection to. And so that's kind of where my thinking pivoted. And I was like, okay, great. Like if I can cook the food that you know, I was raised in and surrounded by for the masses, I might be able to tell a unique story in that way. Yeah, definitely. No, and I totally agree with that. I feel like a lot of people say, like, you can hate somebody and not get along and then sit down over dinner and find common ground. Oh, totally. It's like the most neutral thing in the world, you know, like, nobody can argue a good meal I think um, one of the greatest storytellers of our lifetime is Anthony Bourdain, and he was obviously able to do it so um, with such certainty and with such a clear vision of, let me get to know people regardless of who they are, where they're from, what they believe in, and make the masses kind of understand where they're coming from by a means of food, which is really cool. Yeah, I think that's so cool. Um Something I've been asking a lot of people recently um, who have gone to culinary school and kind of had that traditional, you know, French technique training is how do you implement the like traditional predominant techniques into your Filipino cooking? Yeah, um, I would say like the most valuable thing I got from culinary school wasn't necessarily like how to make French food because it is like the French Culinary Institute and Anyone that's gone to culinary school knows that international cuisine is not the forte of culinary school. And there, there is going to come a time where like you're an Indian person cooking curry at one of these schools and you're like, this is not how you cook curry. Or like in my case, I think we cooked like chicken adobo one week and I was like, hell no, like this is just not it. Um, I would say that I think technique of emulsification of sauces as well as um fixing where things go wrong is the most valuable thing that I learned. So if a sauce is broken or if a stock tastes funny or um, how to make something more acidic, more salty, um, how to kind of fix and balance those things. And so I feel like it's given me like the confidence, I guess, to not panic in scenarios where I feel like, oh no, my sauce is broken. What can I do? Or um, I guess just have like a really great foundation of kind of like where you can start in a soup, you know, like my grandmother wasn't always making chicken broth from scratch. She was like using bouillon cubes as a lot of people do. And I think learning how to, 
I think have like a clear foundation, a foundational level of where all of these things start and where they come from is really important in cooking. Um, and it's also given me kind of like the tools to help people on the line with me, like my sous chefs or whoever I'm cooking with. Um, if they have issues, like I'm able to kind of help them and aid them through that. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting. Okay, so let's talk about pop-ups. Uh, what led you to start your pop-up Pika Pika and what was the process like? So I was a private chef before COVID. Um, it's funny because I ended up going full circle with the agency that I was working for, for photo and video. I went to culinary school and then I came back. Um, I suffered an injury in 2019. And so I couldn't work um, on the line anymore. And at the time I was working as a line cook when I got injured. And so I was like, okay, I already know what the hours and lifestyle of these private chefs look like. Cause I worked for this company before. Maybe I'll just be a private chef for a little bit. Um, and so I was a private chef for like about a year and then COVID happened. Um, and obviously that changed the trajectory of like everybody's lives. But during COVID, I kept seeing a bunch of like, I don't know, New York Times editors that were like, oh, me and my wife are doing a supper club out of my apartment. Or um, a friend of mine was doing like banh mi deliveries um, around Queens. And, uh, you know, Pecking House actually started as a fried chicken pickup, you know, and he was doing it out of the commissary of his parents' place in Queens, but that ended up turning into pop-up, which then ended up turning into a full-fledging restaurant that's doing really well in Prospect Heights. Um, and so I think just like gathering inspiration from people around me that I loosely knew or knew very well that were doing it, I was like, okay, like, you know, I don't really have like a place where I'm eating Filipino food unless I'm going to Woodside Queens where I like I go there they're playing like the teleserias on the television it's like a bunch of uncles throwing down a bunch of aunties throwing down and like I'm there to eat and I'm there to get out like I'm not going to be able to like sit and chit chat there with my friends because they're like let's go next person needs to sit down um or get a drink or chill or whatever and so I just found kind of that there was a hole in the market for Filipino food. On top of that, a lot of like prolific Filipino restaurants in the East Village had closed. Um, so I guess during COVID, I just was tinkering with a lot of the recipes that I had for my grandma and my mom. And I guess towards the end of 2021, or maybe middle to end of 2021, I kind of had the thought of like, you know, nothing in life is easy. It is a very big act of vulnerability, especially cooking food that you grew up eating and like wondering if people are going to like it too, but nothing good in life comes easy. And so I guess I just took the leap and thought like, where can I get in to do pop-ups and like, how can I make this work? Um, and so I ended up finding a studio in bed where I operate um, small events and my supper club out of, and then just started like getting, I guess, more um, into the restaurant scene and wine bar scene of doing pop-ups. Yeah, that's super cool. So what's the meaning of the name Pika Pika and why did you choose it? So Pika Pika is something that my mom used to always say when she picked me up from school. It's like a snack or a small bite. It's like, I think the most like universal way to see it is like a tapas sort of thing. In Tagalog, it literally means like a pickup because you pick it up with your fingers and um, people in the Philippines, like my mom eats with these three fingers. Um, but Pika Pika is like little bites basically. 
And I associate it with the time of like after that after school time, at like 3 p.m. with my mom, where she'd be like, okay, I have like some leftover fish and rice from lunch that you can eat as a little snack before dinner. Um, and that's kind of where I thought of like, let me make little dishes that kind of give people a little taste of where I'm coming from. Yeah, I love that. That's my favorite way to eat is have a little of this, a little of that. Yeah, it's the best way to eat. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so kind of how did you operate during the pandemic? Did you have people over for the supper club or were you doing more takeout orders and catering? So I actually started officially Pika Pika 2022 January. So we were already out of COVID or not out of COVID, but like pretty much out of COVID by then. During COVID, it was just like a big recipe development overhaul. I mean, me and my partner were furloughed. Um, and then I ended up quitting the company altogether for personal reasons, but um, it was just a time of recipe development. So Pika Pika came out of COVID. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people use that time to just really experiment and try out a lot of different things. Yeah. I think it was like a profound time, at least for the people in my friends and community kind of had like that classic, like, do I really like what I'm doing? And that was for me, like, do I really like being a private chef? Like not really. I can go back to being alive. I just like saw a lot of different paths for myself after COVID kind of settled. Um, and it just didn't excite me to be a line cook at a restaurant working for somebody in a very antiquated industry where unfortunately like abuse is very rampant and common. Um, and that's not to negate the work of line cooks because line cooks are doing everything. They're the ones that are, you know, you, at the end of the day, when you look at your food, like it's not a head chef that's making it, it's everybody on the line. Um, it's just that I felt like I had this deeper calling that I felt like I really do want to cook Filipino food. And there isn't really a place that I'm gelling with where I can do that. So why don't I just do it myself? And so that's kind of where the the whole idea of Pika Pika was born. Yeah, totally. No, that's really interesting because um, on our previous episode with Stephanie, um, she was talking about how she didn't really see a place for herself in the industry. So she made a space for herself. And I think that's really important for a lot of people. Definitely. And I think that with pop-up culture right now and a lot of friends that I have that are doing them, we all feel like there's no such thing as crab mentality, first of all. Like there are plenty of other Filipino chefs doing pop-ups that I am like so happy to go on my days off and support. And I don't think there's I I I personally feel like it's a really safe space. And that is not something that I experienced as a line cook or even as a private chef, to be honest. Um, and for that, I'm really grateful I took the leap because now I feel like I get to cook what I love. I get to cook with people that I love and trust. And I get to kind of, I guess, foster a community around what I do to understand that like abuse is not normal. And if you love cooking and that's what makes you happy, you should be happy while you're doing it. Yes, it's stressful. And yes, it can be like really, you know, physically exhausting and mentally exhausting, but at its core, it should be a happy thing if that's what you love to do, you know? So yeah, that's super important to keep in mind. And I'd love to talk about that a little bit more because um, we've been talking a lot about how pop-ups have really been on the rise since COVID. And there's so many of them popping up and <laughs> popping up and like 
changing the industry. So um, I'd love to hear more about what you think the benefit of running a pop-up is over working in like a traditional restaurant. Yeah, I mean, I guess just to touch back on those points that I was just mentioning, I think, first of all, people that are born within the restaurant industry in New York City, I feel, I don't want to say all of them, but there is this very antiquated structure of hierarchy in a restaurant and things are kind of looked at from top down as opposed to linearly. And I feel that with what I do, I'm, you know, sure my sous chef is, it's just a title. It doesn't really mean anything other than somebody I'm cooking with because they have autonomy over the dishes that I'm helping them create. And I have autonomy over what I'm doing. And it's like an equal split. Like at the end of the day, they're getting paid the rate that they want and they should be getting paid the rate that they deserve. Um, and I just think that aside from, I think this new kind of way of looking at food, it's also like cost-wise as a chef, obviously it's so much easier to pop up in somebody else's space because you're not paying for rent. You're not paying for electricity. You're not paying for um, just kind of the overhaul of front of house and porter and well, I guess in my case, I actually do pay for the porters typically when I do pop up. But anyway, that's beside the point. You're not paying for this huge umbrella of costs that that are to run a restaurant. And then on top of that, like for me personally, the benefit is like I get to pop into somebody's kitchen, um, you know, see how management interacts with front of house, see how management interacts with the people in their community and say, okay, I like that. Like, I want to implement that into my own place because eventually I do want to open my own restaurant. Um, and then you can also see things that you're like, okay, that was a little funky. I don't really like that. Um, I'm going to take note of that and make sure that that doesn't happen, you know, in my own kitchen. Um, and so you just kind of learn a lot by meeting a lot of different networks of people also, which then of course, like, I don't know, I feel like I did a pop-up at one place and then it just kind of started branching out to a bunch of different places and the food industry is a really small industry and you come to find that you end up like knowing the same people. And especially for me in the Filipino community, you're like, oh yeah, I know her. I know him. I know her. I know him. And it just like, it it really expanded um, my opportunities really fast by being able to kind of go from place to place, but it also gave me the flexibility to say, hey, I can still have my own place where I host a supper club and I get to do a prefix or a kamayan or whatever that looks like. Um, and it gives you a lot of freedom to like also have a lot of balance in life and say, hey, I wanna take a trip for three weeks. So I'm gonna go take a trip for three weeks because I want to. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds great. And that actually brings me into my next question. Um, I would love to hear more about the food you serve and the flavors that you serve. Um, so what would you say, you know, your favorite thing to cook is and maybe what is your specialty at Pika Pika? Ooh, this is like the most loaded question for chefs, I think. And I would say for me, the thing that I feel most proud of is being able to like throw down on a whole fish. And I don't, I think... I could say certainly right now, my favorite iteration of that is a whole fried pompano with a Thai chili gremolata. That sounds so good. <laughs> That's what I've been doing as of recent, but that could change in a year. I just like grew up eating a lot of whole fish because my mom would always serve like, or my grandma, it would be like soup, rice, your suka, which is like vinegar on the side, 
with chilies in it and then a whole fish, usually like pan fried or deep fried. Um, and like, I didn't grow up eating fillets of fish. So whenever I went to a restaurant, I would like have like a halibut with like potatoes or something. I'm like, what? Like, I want the whole thing. I want the head. I want the fins. Like, um, so I would say a specialty is right now is definitely whole fish. Um, and I think the flavor profiles that I like to serve are maybe spicier than what typical Filipino food looks like, but I like spicy food. So I like to experiment with a lot of different types of chilies. Um, and then certainly a lot of acid. Um, vinegar is a huge part of Filipino culture. I personally collect a lot of different vinegars. I love tasting vinegars. If I see a vinegar that looks interesting, I'm like, I'm going to buy it no matter where I am. Um, and I think like that pungent acid is a very, very prominent part of Filipino food cooking. Yeah, definitely. Whole fish is like one of my favorite things. Yeah. It's also like all meat that's served with bone will always taste better. Like that's just a fact. That's not even my opinion. That's just like, it'll always have, it'll always hold the best flavor. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I did read about how you prefer for people to like send in pre-orders in order to reduce food waste. Um, so going off of that, like how do you um, incorporate sustainability into your work and limit food waste? So at the beginning, I did forget to mention this because eventually I just stopped doing this. The pre-order was when I was doing delivery and pickups for Pika Pika, which is like, it's funny because that was only really like uh, a year and a half ago, but it feels like a lifetime ago. Logistically with drivers, it just didn't end up working out because I kept having drivers like cancel on me and not be able to fulfill the order. Like I would have like six orders ready and then a driver would be like, I can't come. And I'm like, okay, this is not good. But I think that aside from that, sustainability is like a two-part conversation for me. So one part is obviously the food waste and being ecologically friendly and thinking about the environment when you cook. And then the other part of it, which is I think the part that people kind of don't talk about as much and is actually a, a bigger part of a conversation that's happening right now is like the sustainability of fine dining and what that looks like in terms of advocacy for employees and like how sustainable a business can really run being a fine dining. And so when I think about the context of Pika Pika, while there are some things that I do kind of want to go uh, maybe a little bit more highbrow, I choose to do those um, on my own and for my supper club because then I'm the one taking the loss for it and not a cook or a chef that I'm hiring to work with me. Um, so for example, what that could look like is I really, one of my favorite things to cook actually is, um, duck confit adobo and I love duck. I love chicken adobo. Uh, duck adobo was not something that my family made, but I think the, the flavors work really excellently together. Um, I choose to do that at my supper club with a group of 10 people. So I can like treat that thought experiment in the most sustainable manner to be like, okay, my margins weren't great on that. I didn't make a lot of money off of that, but you know, no one else had to suffer at the cost except for myself. Um, and I do think thinking in a broader spectrum of eventually opening a restaurant, I do think it is a little bit more sustainable for employees, for balance of life, for better margins, which equal 
better, I don't know, just happiness for everyone else to kind of like hone in on, I wouldn't say the more casual dishes, but the dishes that might yield better for service. Um, and in my opinion, it's really hard to do that with crazy microgreens and crazy like, you know, tamari instead of using like Filipino soy sauce, for example. Um, so I think that's one part of the sustainability conversation that not a lot of chefs talk about, which is creating a sustainable environment for their employees. And then the other side of it, which I think is very common in a lot of cultures that are, is not American, is utilizing all parts of what you're using to cook. So that is kind of the most basic way that I incorporate sustainability all the time. If I, for whatever reason, which doesn't happen that often, need to take the meat off of the fish for um, a certain dish, I think I cook a... Uh, flounder frise, uh, flounder kataage with a frise salad. I'll keep the bones and then I'll use the bones for stock at a later time. And you can freeze that. There's a million ways to do it. Um, if I'm cooking shrimp and I need to peel the shrimp, the shrimp shells off, I keep the shrimp shells and then I dehydrate them and I turn it into a powder. And then I use that powder at a later time. And I think that while composting is obviously a great solution, it's not super accessible. Um, and a lot of restaurants will tell you that they can't compost because it's expensive and you have to get certain machinery in order to do it. I know people who have fundraised to get, um, the proper, I guess, and I don't know deeply, I'm not the one to talk to you about it, but I, I know that it is very expensive thing to do. So for me, um, knowing that composting isn't something integrated into every restaurant, I do try to keep everything, including like, vegetable waste, I can turn also into vegetable stock or, you know, char it and turn it into an ash and use it as a powder later. And then, you know, I'm saving money on spices because I made my own. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think we always hear about how other countries really put a lot of importance in using all parts of your food, but in the U.S. we're somehow like super behind on that. Yeah, I mean, it's no surprise that America does not implement the practices of indigenous cultures, but it is a very common practice in most indigenous cultures to respect and use all parts of the body. Yeah, definitely. And I think that it also kind of forces you to be more creative as a chef. I completely agree. Someone will be like, I, I remember a friend of mine who's Cambodian that um, cooks in a restaurant group that I do pop-ups at. He was like, oh, I really love, I cook this thing called sinigang, which is a soup that's based off of a tamarind broth. And he was like, wow, I really, I'm used to having like the powdered packet that, you know, you pour into a water and it tastes really good, but this is so sour and so delicious. Like, how did you do It's so shrimpy. Like, how did you do that? And that was because I was able to dehydrate the shells and then turn it into a powder. And that's something a chef from Ecuador taught me when I was in culinary school. And that's actually circling back to that question about culinary school. The other benefit that I got out of that was every day after school, they had demos in the kind of like, uh, what is that? Like an auditorium part of the school. And they would have chefs from Japan, from Ecuador, from Spain, from Mexico come. And I volunteered at every single one of them. And like, that wasn't everybody's thing because it's tiring, to be honest. You get to school at 7 a.m. 
and you finish at three. And then these demos usually start at four and you're there until like seven. So really, if you're doing all of that, it's a 12 hour day, but I'm like, you're paying all this money. You have the resources of these chefs. And so I would volunteer with them. And chef Gabriela from Ecuador is the one who taught me to dehydrate and turn the shells into powder. And so now I do that all the time. And that's how I'm able to make that soup taste so good. Yeah, that is so cool. Okay, amazing. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what your operations look like today. Are you spending more time doing your supper clubs or do you um, focus on like popping up at other restaurants? So as of today, I actually am letting go of my studio next month. Um, Fiscally, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to keep it. It was an incredible, like basically two-year run. Um, And I really loved doing the events, but the margins weren't good enough for me to keep it. And um, sadly, I just have to let that go. But it was also a really... um, important part of the beginning parts of Pika Pika because without that space I wouldn't have been able to do so many like I guess what I was calling it is thought experiments on food um so right now I definitely have more of an emphasis on pop-ups this summer I had a lot going on and right in this moment I'm not feeling the burnout anymore but I think the burnout was starting to hit me at like the end of September beginning of October because that's when like the weather starts to change um, food service becomes a little bit slower. People in the food industry are like, I think finally like settling from summer. Um, so right now I'm kind of in a transitional phase. I actually went to bread school in March and April and bread is bread and pastry is something that I've always had a very deep, like interest in chemistry wise, like maybe not being a pastry chef, but understanding how bread works. And same thing, as I said, as culinary school, learning the techniques and learning how things go wrong, overproofing, underproofing, like what you can do to fix those things. Um, I learned a lot from that. And so right now I'm in kind of a transitional space where I'm trying to think about how I can incorporate bread and pastry pop-ups into my life. That's super cool. That, yeah, that brings me to my next question is like, what's next for Pika Pika in the future? Yeah. So I think the near future, there's a lot of different kind of moving parts that are happening. So I actually got reached out to by a restaurant group recently um, to do consulting for them. And that's something that I'm really interested in because I think it would be fun to work creatively just on one thing. And engineering a menu is something that I love to do at all of my pop-ups. I always have a new menu because I just like the change. Um, so that's kind of one part of, I wouldn't say Pika Pika specific, but just in my life. Um, but then the other part of that is I do think hopefully I will have, I will be able to find a space where I can have, um, bread and savory pastries, which is something that I do want to try and specialize in just cause I, I feel like there's a lack of savory pastries in the world. And I grew up eating like Japanese and Chinese pastries back home in Hawaii, which are typically like with ham or cheese or um, Chinese sausage. And so I'm trying to figure out where I can do that and what that space will look like. And then future speaking, I am hoping within the next two years that I would have my own bistro and it will be Filipino Pan-Asian food. Um, So that's kind of like far future thinking, but near future thinking I'm taking space right now to kind of intentionally focus on bread 
and pastry because it is something I paid to go to. And now I feel like I need to like incorporate that into my daily practices. And you can't really do that with dinner service. Um, So I'm trying to figure out what that would look like pop-up wise if I were to do bread and pastries. Yeah, definitely. And I totally agree with you. I think there's definitely a shortage of savory pastries. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Last question is, um, what advice would you give to students and young people looking to enter the food industry? The first thing I can think of is like, it's, it is sad, but true. But I think having like, don't take things personally and have really thick skin because in the context of the food industry, you are going to meet a lot of people whose practices you might disagree with, but you can't take it personally because that's just the way it is. And hopefully you can foster the way that I have to create a community and an environment that you feel safe in, or just not hopefully be in those types of work environments. And then secondly, I think if you are a chef looking, wanting to do pop-ups or a chef wanting to cook your own food, just do it. Like it's really, it sounds so dumb and cliche, but no one else is going to be doing what you're specifically doing. So just do it and, and don't cater to like an American audience, like cater to the audience, cater as if you were feeding yourself. Like that's how I cook. And that's how I create menus. Like, would I like to see this on a menu? Would I pay this much for this? Would this excite me? And I feel like at the end of the day, that's what excites people because people who don't cook are like, oh, what do you like to cook? And what do you like to eat? And you tell me what to order. And so at the end of the day, just cook the food that you love because no one else is going to be doing that. Yeah. Those are two really important pieces of advice. I think I definitely need to take those to heart as well. (laughs) Okay. So I love to end the episode with doing some fun little rapid fire questions. So um, the first thing that comes to mind, the first one is, uh, what is your favorite music to listen to while you cook? Oh, wow. So this is super mood based. Um, I don't have like a cooking playlist that I listen to, but I would say like, I love listening to disco and like 1970s disco. That's definitely something I got from the Filipino side of my family. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I would say right now it's like 1970s disco. That's so fun. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite comfort food? I guess comfort food for me is probably like a big bowl of white rice and a big bowl of soup. And usually the soup is chicken tanola, which is um, a chicken and ginger based soup that has chayote squash and onions in it. Um, And that to me is like my ultimate, ultimate comfort meal. Okay. Last one is um, somebody in the industry that is doing something cool that you'd like to shout out. Oh my gosh. This is so hard. I guess the first thing that comes to my friend, my to my mind is my friend Nate. Um, he cooks Jamaican food and he's kind of in residency at Prima, which is a wine bar in Fort Greene. And his food is super incredible, very thought-provoking, very delicious. And I honestly wish that I could eat his food more. I'm just usually cooking myself, so we don't get to overlap a lot, but it's definitely a treat every time I get to eat his food. That's so awesome. I love his that. name is Nate Cox. <laughs> okay. You heard it here. And his, and his pop-up is called big tune. Okay. Love. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Nadia. It was so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. 
And that's a wrap on this week's episode with Nadia Adson. If you enjoyed, be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Gourmand Community.